Hello everybody, uh, welcome to episode 11 of Business After Hours. My guest today was uh, quite different than normal guests. So Rob Walsh is not a business owner, but he is a chief executive, but of the Northeast Lincolnshire Council. So in this podcast, we talked about similarities between businesses and public sector. Uh, we talked about leadership quite a lot. Um, also his PA and how, how that really helps him achieve what he needs to get done. Talked a little bit about family, balancing work, life uh, and home life. And in this episode, I had a little bit of a cold, so I do apologize, but please enjoy. Hey Rob, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Uh, so you are the Chief Executive of the Northeast Lincolnshire Council. I am indeed. Slightly different from our normal guests. Um, we were saying just downstairs when we were making a cup of tea that although it's not a business, it must be there must be similar parallels in running a council to running a fairly big business. Because how, how many how many employees does the council have? How many people underneath you? So full time equivalents around fifteen hundred net revenue budget. So everyday spending of around a hundred and totaling every year about one hundred and nine million at the moment. Um, and responsible for the entire population of the borough. So not your traditional type of business model, but a business nonetheless. Yeah, so how many how many people in the borough? About 160-odd thousand people. So I'm, I'm putting this in my business terms. That's 169,000 clients that are pretty demanding, paying you for goods and services. Yeah. I guess they're fairly demanding. Very demanding, quite rightly so. Yep. So how does how do you cope with all of those staff, all those clients? Because if that was a business, that would be severely intimidating. Um, so it's I'm not going to try and explain how a council operates. All I would say is that um, if you were starting from scratch in designing a business, you wouldn't design it the way that a council is constructed. So we're responsible for all sorts of things. We are what's called a unitary authority. So that means every local government service that can be provided in the borough of North East Links is provided by one council, North East Links Council. So whether that's social services for children and families, whether it's adult social care for the elderly and the most vulnerable adults in the patch, whether it's working with business to promote economic growth and deliver regeneration, whether it's all of our regulatory functions, trading standards, environmental health, food safety, if it's working with schools, supporting uh, children in education, port health, procurement, buying goods, works and services, you name it, we do it. It's not a lot that you see of that necessarily gets the press, um, but we are responsible for so many things uh, with a lot of very skilled, experienced and dedicated people. Um, overseen by 42 elected people, councillors, eight of whom form the cabinet, and they're the big decision makers. And my role ultimately, and that of my senior team, is to make sure that they are advised on what they should be taking into account before making some big decisions that affect those 160 odd thousand people. That's a council in two sentences or so, I think. Yeah. <laughs> a long paragraph. <laughs> so you mentioned senior team. How many in the senior team? So I've got a leadership team of um, uh, 10 people. Um, I remember when I started my career at North East Lincolnshire Council way back in 1996 when it was created. I was a, I was a very junior person then. I was a, a solicitor. Um, and the top team of the local authority, the top two tiers, was nearly 30-odd people. So times have changed. Wow. A lot more responsibility, broader portfolios, and higher demand. And, well, less people to manage it. Absolutely. Is that a budgetary thing or just a 
it performs better with less people it's a budgetary thing um but that's life um i think more importantly it's the way that local government has gone the way that we operate now we used to be delivering services for the sake of delivering services that's not a political point that's a fact the council of the 21st century is more about not just delivering those services that people need but creating an environment for the economy to grow working in partnership supporting business local business to grow to thrive getting out of the way when we can and intervening when we need to uh, that's a very different role to the the role that I think was envisaged for a local authority when councils were first created many, many, many moons ago. Too, too involved, do you think, back then? Um, I think it was the model that was needed then. Remember, I think councils emerged really from the whole all the challenges around public health and poverty and stuff like that. And those issues are still prevalent, by the way, certainly in places like North East Links. But how a council engages with partners and local people to solve some of those problems is a very different way of working to when councils were operating even 5, 10, 15 years ago now. So if you have a senior management team of 10, 11, including you, what, what's your day-to-day look like? Um, six o'clock, dogs wake me up, two <laughs> cockapoos, Monty and Teddy, mad as a box of frogs. Um, if I'm up for it, I'll go for a run. Um, so you're a runner? I'm a runner, more of which later. You knew, you knew I'd get that in. Um, and I need to run. So I'll go for a run or I'll work out in the kitchen with my kettlebells because I'm a bit weird like that too. Um, get to work for about eight o'clock. Um, I live in in the town. Um, so when it comes to getting to and from work, that's not an issue, which helps really given the hours that you have to put in, quite rightly. Um, probably an early meeting with the leader of the council if he's around. Um, and then really my life is meetings my life is relationship management. My life is making sure that um, the council's profile, to the extent that we can, is raised in the right way. Also dealing with difficult stuff that cuts across my desk sometimes. We are a council. Difficult things do happen. We're not popular with everybody for a whole host of reasons. Um, but making sure really that strategically we're heading in the right direction, that when we say we're supporting business, we're doing that in the right way. We're inviting people in to look to invest in the area, um, but also the stuff that people don't see, making sure that my colleagues around that top table are managing children's services in the right way, that we are doing our best to look after the most vulnerable children in our patch, the most vulnerable adults. Um, working with GPs, I have a role in relation to the NHS as well. My day is varied. Every day is different, and that is my motto. And believe it or not, I do love my job. And the reason why I love it, I think it's the most privileged thing to do in a place, to be the chief exec of your council. Um, but also, every day literally is different. So what did you do before this? Um, I've always been in local government, um, but if my um, if, I, if I had my own way, about 17, 18, I would have followed my dad into the army. So I'm the son of a soldier, um, 34 years in the army, my father, bless him. Mum was a nurse, NHS through and through, 40 years. Uh, grew up in the forces, um, moved around uh, Germany and England a lot. Don't remember England until uh, the day that Elvis passed away. That's when we moved here. When I moved back, I mean, I was born yeah. in England, but when we moved back that I can remember, that was the day that Elvis passed on. When was that? 1977-ish, I'm sure it was, because I remember my mum crying a lot, and she is a huge Elvis fan, and I know <laughs> why now. Um, my second memory is, believe it or not, this is true, Coming, uh, we moved to Curtin and Lindsay in North Lincolnshire, as it is now, um, at the barracks, putting a telly on, and one, one Austin Mitchell appeared on the telly, presenting Calendar. And there you go, it was obviously a sign. Austin Mitchell? Austin Mitchell. Hopefully a future podcast guest. Absolutely, recommend it. Good value. Yeah, I know. I know people have told me you can talk for England, so and Scotland and <laughs> Wales and Ireland. Yeah. So you went from a fairly public sector 
background then if your parents were military and um, NHS? Yeah, so I think about that now, and it sounds a bit corny to say it, but I do think about that a lot now. And what I realised, given what I'm doing and have been doing for a while, is that actually I've come from a family that was in, in public service. Um, and maybe that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, like I said, if I'd had my own way, I would have followed my dad into the forces. He saw something different in me, sent me off to study law, got a law degree, um, ended up qualifying as a solicitor. Um, the reason why I'm sat here, I tell this story a lot. Some people who listen to this podcast will yawn. Here he goes again. <laughs> is that he, he took a year out from his degree, got a job at then Cleethorpes Borough Council for a year in the legal department, met a girl called Tracy. The rest is history. That's oh, why I'm here. Oh, so Tracy, it's her blame. fault. You're blaming Tracy. I'm blaming her. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you said that your dad saw something in you and didn't want you to go in the military. Do you think that was... Well, why do you think that was? Do you think he, he didn't want you to go down that path because he'd done it? or it's a, I think the more I talk to him now, because he's, um, he's from that generation, didn't talk about his experiences a lot. It's because of what he did and what he yeah. saw and what he experienced. Um, uh, an Irish Catholic that joined the British Army. I think they say more than that, really. So saw a lot, experienced a lot, um, and just felt that it wouldn't be for me. Um, and that generation, of course, when your mother or your father say, don't do that, you tend to say, yes, sir. Oh, you yes, wanted it more. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't. I ended up actually um, being a bit rebellious. Uh, I was supposed to go off and retake retake some of my O-levels. That's what they were called then. But instead I joined on what was then called the YTS, a youth training scheme, because um, I thought I could be a car mechanic. How ridiculous was that? Because I am nowhere near any good at fixing vehicles. Um, I remember seeing my old man turns up at the place where I was in Scunthorpe. That's the only geographical reference I'll make to the place where I was. Um, I don't want to give the name of the garage away. It might not exist anymore. Yeah. Um, and he comes in, he sees me, has a word with the manager who agrees with him that the YTS is not for me. He was being polite because I hadn't got a clue about a car. Um, took me to John Leggett, got me enrolled, retook my O-levels, did my A-levels, off I went and did a law degree. There you go. Weird, isn't it? So from potential car mechanic to solicitor. Yes. What a, so what a, did you practice law? Um, so I was I qualified in local government. So I was a, a I was the council solicitor um, for ten years. But what I mean by that is I I trained as a solicitor at the council. I qualified. I worked in the legal department, and then I became the top, the most senior lawyer in the council. In in American sort of uh, analogous terms, like the district attorney for the area. Oh, okay. And so the head of legal services of a council is sort of in that bracket. You know. So you were. Busting drug deals and... Not quite. No. <laughs> advising councillors how to behave. Anyone listening to this who's a councillor, don't laugh. Um, advising on rules and procedure. The thing about councils, we can only operate in accordance with the law. We must have a duty to do it or a power to do it. It sounds a bit dull and boring, but actually we do lots, but everything we do must relate back to something in law. So the role of the council solicitor, you know... Um, is really important in ensuring that if something interesting needs to be done, something risky needs to be done, is it lawful? And if you get it wrong, you get some strange looks from people who've just made the decision, yeah. <laughs> including chief executives. <laughs> so how yeah. long ago was that when you... Crikey. So qualified in 1996 as a solicitor, which was at the same year that North East Lincolnshire Council was formed. How fortuitous was that? Uh, got a job in the legal department. Um, and started out doing child protection, social services law, which was a baptism of fire, very complicated and uh, very challenging, very emotive area of legal practice. Um, when you're in a courtroom asking for a child to be taken into local authority care, that's, that's very draining, it's demanding. You're dealing with families, it's very sensitive. 
um, lots of things to learn on the spot and on your feet and that, that was a big grounding for me those two years doing that role was a big thing for me I learned a lot the more I think about it especially how to deal with people and recognize that people from all backgrounds have challenges no matter where you came from and what you've done and what you've achieved we know we start on the same level and that's how we should be treated so well I guess in, in a borough of that many people there are thousands of different personalities you'll meet how do you relate to everybody or at least come across in a way where you're uh taking their side of no well, not their side but their opinions on board their concerns so again I, I public service i i'm i am a public servant um and i think um what the what local government lost for a while as a sector and what maybe this council did for a while i think was this notion it's not just about if you're elected you're a public servant but also if you're employed or appointed by a council you are a public servant you know I've got a load of responsibilities to the population of this borough I might not fulfill them well every day of the week people will have an opinion on that I accept that that's the job Um, but ultimately um, I have a passion and a desire working with my colleagues to make sure that we do the best we possibly can for the population and ultimately that is about understanding that all kinds of people will be involved with what you do you need to Uh, develop manage and maintain certain relationships you have to have difficult conversations it's not just about saying yes we can it's sometimes about i'm afraid we can't it's just about honesty and integrity and i'm very very lucky in this role i meet everybody i've met ministers i've met prime ministers um, royalty business leaders small medium large businesses um, nationally regionally locally um, as well as getting involved with people in the community that's why i do and it's my own my own choice it's nothing to do with what I do for a living but being exposed to a lot more people in my role um, I've done a lot in relation to raising funds for charity through my running so I'm a very big supporter of the YMCA of Harbour Place St Andrew's Hospice I think using my profile as the council's chief exec is an opportunity to raise their profile um, so you, you get to meet all sorts and if you can't develop a way in this role particularly of, of, of having a relationship an honest open conversation it's not about being right it's not about falling out and then you shouldn't be in this job you've got to be really really thick-skinned and resilient I, I was gonna just I really was gonna say a lot of the stuff you just said there you've, you've got to have some pretty thick skin yeah robust mental state to weather that that storm of I can imagine the sort of things you get thrown at you and now with the advent of social media it must yeah, be yeah. 10 times easier for people to vent towards you know you because you're on social media i am actively Quite brave so. i'm brave yeah but i think it's necessary so I, i'm a i'm a tweeter and i do get the odd reply every now and then that necessarily doesn't um fill me with warmth but provided it's not offensive or abusive i will engage um as as anybody using social media should but have you uh have you gone down the the rabbit hole from a troll starting something and and regretted it yeah yes i learned that lesson once yeah <laughs> so easy to do it is yeah yeah there's a lot of that on linkedin now i think i've noticed yeah it's becoming uh, a little bit weird um quickly before we move on you mentioned you met royalty and prime ministers which prime ministers have you met um well i've met uh, theresa may uh, i tend to meet prime ministers just before they've left office or just after they've left office a bad omen. Um, uh, the first one i met was um, david cameron Two days after the referendum, that's all we'll talk about on that subject. Yeah. But more importantly, because it was National Armed Forces Day in Cleethorpes, and oh, he, was, and yep. he, he still he turned up, and that's the day I met him. And he was a very nice chap too. He was a bit tall, firm is handshake. He, is he tall? Well, yeah, very tall. You're a tall guy, so yeah. But he's he's he's, he's, he's so let's just say he's more robustly built. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to offend him when I say yeah. that, but <laughs> stocky, stocky. Yeah. Um, and what? So that was two days after he already 
handed his notice. That was two days after the referendum and a day after he resigned. Yeah. So I guess he was pretty happy because he was permanent vacation from that. He point. seemed relaxed. Yeah, I yeah. bet. He had his youngest son with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Theresa May more recently. More recently to do with the town deal, all that sort of stuff, the Grimsby town deal. Um, and yeah, uh, and that's getting this area, as you know, uh, and quite so explain rightly, big this profile. Town deal, because right. it. I've not seen a lot of information. I think there's a, quite a lot of it still under wraps. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. Right. Here we go. I've tried to explain this many times and I'll still cause confusion. So um, the the government of the day um, has recognised that the way that the public and private sector in North East Lincolnshire are working together regarding our approach to economic growth, regeneration and, and creating jobs, closing the skills gap, all the very difficult long-term stuff. This stuff will not happen overnight. The government recognises that the working relationship across the public and private sector, it's not just about the council, is pretty good actually. Um, and for a whole host of reasons, including I would say the result of the referendum um, at the time in 2016, and then the then uh, Theresa May's statement then at the time as Prime Minister about um, her reference to forgotten towns. Not that Grimsby or any part of North East Lincolnshire is forgotten, but no, that folk that we have a film. I we mean, have a film. Yeah, yeah. Not many towns do. No, no. We yeah, yeah. We may, we need to make another film. <laughs> Austin made a film. You can talk to him about that. Uh, he, oh, I will. He, he did. I'm going to note that he down. He did. He did. Um, the fact that an area that was in industrial decline for such a long time, proud fishing heritage, history, the legacy, all of that stuff, and the, but the decline that followed. Um, there was this galvanised view between public and private sector developed over a few years, this did not happen overnight, that we needed to arrest that development. You throw into the mix the amazing thing that is renewable energy and offshore wind. Now, whatever our views on that, whether it's going to create a million jobs, two billion pounds for the local economy or not, the fact is it's exciting, it's new, it's transformational, and it's getting people looking up, out, and being more confident about the area. And more importantly, it's got people looking in to go, oh, what's going on here then? All of these ingredients in the mix, the government, the current government, um, considered that actually we should support the area through the council, not just about the council, um, to see how they can regenerate, particularly a town that really is struggling, um, Grimsby, um, and work to the longer term to, to look at how we can develop more widely around the port of Grimsby and over time into Cleethorpes and into Wimmingham and that sort of stuff. So the town deal is not the council going to the government with a begging bowl asking for loads of money. Part of it is about money. It's more about establishing a long-term working relationship with departments of state. And believe me, I could go on about it all night, but I won't. If you don't have a credible working relationship with senior civil servants and ministers of state in any government, you won't get the influence, the clout, and the resource you need to make big changes happen. Um, whether it's through local enterprise partnerships, the LEPs, whether it's directly through direct government funding for specific projects. All the things that are happening in Cleethorpes around um, coastal communities, um, the regeneration work underway now, popular or not, the regeneration work going on in Grimsby Town Centre, popular or not, all of that relates to this new relationship which the government recognises as having credibility and is part of a longer term plan to turn this place around. And I think there are enough people now that are starting to believe that it could happen Things are happening now anyway. We just have to be patient. How patient? Not too patient. Okay. And what sort of money have they... So how does it work? They say, we're going to invest X over a number of years. Here's the check. 
the money. They give you specific, what they call grants, so a specific pot of money for a specific purpose. So it could be hypothetically, so I don't get myself into trouble and breach any agreements. Hypothetically, by the time this is broadcast, it might be public, but I better be careful. <laughs> Just say, for example, the council felt that it needed to acquire a big piece of land in order to make something happen in the proximity of the town centre. That town might be Grimsby. Um, and it had a really genuine regeneration purpose that needed to be accelerated. And in order to accelerate it, you might need some government funding to get into the bank quickly. So you'd have to borrow it yourself as a council. Um, that type of thing. And it could be for a couple or maybe three, four million pounds into the bank. You spend it for that purpose. Off you go. It's not a constant stream of money. But if you deliver as a result of what you're given and you show a track record of delivery, there's a good chance that when you go for further funding support to the government, they might put you reasonably up the queue because they've seen a track record that you can get on with it. You spend it and you make stuff happen. That's how you have to develop a relationship with any government of any day if you want to get in funding to support growth and regeneration. Now, the other point is that councils aren't, whilst councils have a major role to play in economic growth and regeneration, we're not responsible for it all. So it's important that we focus on the right things. And that's where the business relationship is particularly important because generally, and I know, I know for people like you, you tell us what you think, you tell us what you need, and we need to see whether we can play to our strengths to make the right things happen and influence government accordingly. Through the work of our two MPs, through Melanie and Martin as well, all of these things behind the scenes is a big network of relationships and influence, the focus being getting the best deal for this area. Well, it's good to hear. It's hard and it takes time. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm trying to imagine in, like, in my head how it's all going to work. Think of House of Cards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can, now I can see it. Uh, so how do you show a return on the money that they're sending this way? Is it, is it if they're being quite prescriptive with you have to spend X money on that sort of project, they must have some sort of KPI or objective to see yep. on the outside. You should be a civil servant. Um, so it'll be no, things thanks. like number of, job, number of jobs created by, by date X, um, number of children into a certain level of education by date Y, um, number of business startups by date Z, and so on. Something these things aren't you know surprising to you, but those are the sort of things that the measures they go for. And in the longer term, that the level of investment that's coming into the area from business, whether it's new business or current business, um, you know, ABP is an example of a business, a big business, the major business arguably in the area that is investing heavily, uh, and their relationship with us now, the council, is really integral to seeing the down deal happen quickly. Um, because they have so much influence in the area, so much land holdings and ownership. Um, what Orsted are doing with offshore wind, but more importantly, what they're doing in the community sends a message to the government too. Businesses are serious, big, small, medium are serious about the area. That gives the government confidence to keep looking, talking, and eventually, if we make the right kind of bid, give us a bit more money to spend on certain projects. So it's great uh, that big businesses is here, so HBP and Orsted you mentioned. How many small businesses are in this area? Do you know? So, so about 80, well, 80, I know 80% of our business population is SME, so that's a lot. Wow. Uh, and so when you talk about the real challenge, uh, and, you know, I, I work very closely with the likes of Mr. Webb and others, of course, um, supply chain opportunities are the big thing for a place like Northeast Links. So with all these businesses either already here and investing more, and hopefully others coming in, we cannot forget that really the real opportunity and the challenge is sustainability of small and medium-sized enterprises like this one where I'm sat, making sure that the council develops policies. I'm not a decision maker or a politician, but I have a view, develops policies that promote buying local, what we call the local government term, forgive me, social value 
In other words, making sure as much of the North East Lincolnshire pound is spent in North East Lincolnshire. Oh, okay. So apprenticeships being promoted, promoting local employment. When yeah. you award a contract, encouraging the contractor or requiring them to say, right, we need X number of apprentices from Grimsby, in Grimsby or Cleethorpes specified. And you hold them to account for those measures being delivered. Um, so the whole, the whole, the whole notion of making sure that as much of our money that we have as an area is spent in our area sounds really easy to deliver, but very hard to secure. And that's how the council working with business can have more influence. Yeah, I've seen quite a lot of uh, tenders and pitches that are for councils nowhere near us, and yeah. they get sent our way. To be honest, I don't mind losing if their criteria is we've gone with someone local. Uh, so I've been involved in a couple pitches, Brighton. So, you know, great place to visit. Would have loved a client down there, but they went, nope, we're going to stick with local. And I thought, you know what? I don't mind that. But I see a hell of a lot of councils on uh, our tendering platform looking for services. And, and it is, we'll, we'll send it out to anyone. Um, do, you, do Northeast Links have a kind of grading system to say local is, is an objective we look for or... So we have to be careful. I'm going to, I'm going to mention Europe. So we're bound when it comes to procurement, buying, selling goods, work, services, um, and contracting accordingly. Um, we are bound by European procurement rules. Um, so we have to we, we have to tender in a certain way. Um, we have to we have to let contracts in a certain way. We have to open up competition in a certain way. But we can certain rules can be applied that enable us to focus locally on certain things, depending on the value of a contract. And if we're really risk-taking, and sometimes we are and have to be, not illegal, risk-taking, um, you can take the view that we there isn't there isn't there is there is insufficient competition beyond the boundaries of North East Links, such that we can have a go at focusing just on businesses in North East Links. But that's a difficult ask sometimes. Do they do? Is that the reason they do that? Just purely so someone in a council couldn't just be like, my mate who owns this company, I'm just going to send him all the work. Is it is it that kind of issue, or is it? I always find it a little bit. The documents that councils put out very long and bureaucratic. Yeah, you spend a yes, lot of time I jumping know. through lots of hoops. That really, when you look at the face value of what they're off, you know what the project is and what you're trying to provide, none of it really has any relevance. Um, it's lots of red tape around what should be a fairly simple contract. So we we've had ones in the past where you know the value of the contract is is a couple thousand. You probably spend a couple thousand in just manpower just to do the the pitch. Uh, and it kind of puts you well does one of two things it either puts us off or you have to up your price and so the council gets a raw, raw deal I always thought councils are kind of doing themselves a disservice by making it difficult yeah and I agree and I'm, I'm allowed to say um, on air that those are the sorts of things that frustrate even me um, when you hear about examples like that um, so a lot of it though a large percentage of it though is bound by law and regulations we have to put in place to ensure that we are seen to be procuring and spending public money properly um, it's you know there were times in the past where those rules were brought in to deal with those issues of making sure that you didn't give contracts to your mates it's not about that anymore I'd like to think it isn't anyway um, it really is about the procurement regime we're operating in European regulations um, and the preparedness of councils to take a bit of risk and focus locally when they can and just seeing what happens. I am allowed to say that because we have done that every now and then. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I, there's lots of public sector stuff that I see as a business owner going, God, if that was my business, I'd do that differently. And I think it's very easy to judge from the outside. There's, I, I would have thought a million things going on that people don't see. 
But uh, yeah, I don't know. Public sector, I, I, I would be loathed to go into public sector because I think I would get a bit frustrated. Uh, just because there are like those rule, those limitations bound by certain laws. Whereas when you run the business, it's kind of sometimes seat of your pants, make it up as you go type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a? Do you think the the leadership of a council should be more like the leadership of some a business, a private sector business, or do you think the way leadership works at the minute with public sector works, but just needs more time for people to see what's happening? I think it used to be that kind of question that would be asked quite rightly and people like me would have to answer. But I think it's more now about style of leadership generally across sectors. Um, I talk about leadership a lot. Um, and um, again, whatever people's views on me out there are, um, I am a senior leader in this borough, working with a lot of other very, very strong, incredible leaders. I think leadership is about people, it's about relationships, and it's about being honest about what strengths you have as an organisation and how you can help get others to help you deliver what you need to deliver, whether you're in the private sector, the public sector, a small or medium-sized enterprise. You are dealing with people, decision-making, money, which is not unlimited, even in the private sector, and taking risk. Um, and that's where councils increasingly are moving into as a space now anyway, because we have to. Um, so I think the lines are blurred now. Leadership is a set of skills, experiences and attributes that can be applied across those sectors. And it's about how you are as a person, how you relate, I think, increasingly now. Sorry. Cut that bit out, Tom. Have me blow my nose. Um, so what's your leadership style? How would you how would you describe and has it changed? Has it always been the same? It's changed a lot. Yeah. Crikey. Yeah. So um young sprightly lawyer became the most senior lawyer in the council at about in, in my early thirties. So how did that happen? Um I just rose through the ranks and then applied for the big legal job at the time and got it. That's the short story. Um and I, I was very much of the of the view that command and control was the way to lead. That lasted about five minutes. Oh, you were quite domineering. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I had to be because I was the lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> you soon learn, you have your wings clipped. I've also worked with um, some very good leaders and I've worked with some very not so good leaders. Um, and I've learned, I think, a lot from both in terms of style and approach. Um, I'm still learning, I still make plenty of mistakes. But what I've learned increasingly over the last few years, certainly in the role of CEO, Heroic leadership is dead. You know, banging the table and insisting on something happening is not the way to lead and get the best out of people. Humility is a big thing. Vulnerability is an important thing. Asking for help, knowing when you need it, knowing when to shut up, actively listening to people, giving people the space to cock it up, learn from it and give it another go. All of that stuff is what leadership is about. Easily said, sounds soft and fluffy, but in my experience, that's how you get the best of that out of the people around you. And the other point about that is, the way to build a team, in my experience, and I'm not perfect, is to make sure that your weaknesses are covered by those people around you. You know, I like to live in the cloud sometimes and be strategic and think about the future, all that sort of stuff. But I know that I've got one or two people around me that will bring me back down to earth and go, no, let's focus on this and get this done. And if you've got the right team around you, you can get the best out of everybody. That's not unique to a council, and that's no. the point. No, I'm smiling because it's uh, very similar to here. So I have a small management team. And uh, I'm a bit airy-fairy, like, oh, let's try this this week, or I've thought of this idea, or I'll send an email at stupid o'clock. And I'll come in in the morning, I'll go, that is a good idea, but we can't do that now. <laughs> you you have to choose. Either we do the thing we were doing last week, or we scrap our plans and go down this 
this weird route. So I, yeah, I get it. It's uh, I don't know. Some some people call it the entrepreneur's curse, where you're always constantly thinking of, you know, the next future great big thing. Um, so it's nice to know that you do it as well. It's not just trying. You kind of I try sat in a in an office bored with replying to. So I'm never. I'm very rarely sat at my desk. Which no? again, we might sound a bit odd to people listening, thinking he should be sat at his desk. Yeah. That's what that's what we pay him for. And now, oh, do you get that comment? Uh, sometimes, yeah. but I'm not sat at my desk. I'm out meeting people, relating to people, talking to people. Sometimes having to motivate people. You know, councils are going through it. You know, there's a lot of lot of strain in the system, a lot of challenge out there, um, and you've got to be open. You've got to be inclusive, and every now and then you have to be firm. Yeah, but relationships are the most important thing inside the organization and outside if someone asks me what i do for a living my job is to manage relationships ultimately um yeah that's a good way to put it with your clients or in your case the constituents and then so i'm just thinking the, the 10 people you've got in your management your senior team yeah did you pick them have you have they rose through the ranks or were they external hires a mixture um so without boring you too much the process i don't personally appoint them i'm involved in their appointment because any chief officer is appointed by councillors you know senior councillors interview and that's part of the process but yes i have a role in ensuring that i hopefully get the right people around me to support what councillors have asked me to get on and do for my job so the just to stop you there the the councillors they'd be like um <coughs> the the board be a, a panel of four or five councillors okay. um, of the senior of the cabinet made it from the cabinet and the and the leading opposition group um, we have to have a balanced set of committees, politically balanced committees. I won't go into those rules. They'll, they will be here all night trying to explain <laughs> them. But basically five or six councillors on a panel will be interviewing for the most senior roles then making recommendations to the council, full council, for those people to be appointed. Um, but the answer to your question, in essence, is yes, of course I have a role in picking the people that sit around the table with me. But I don't always get what I want. And that's quite right. That's why councillors make the decisions. Okay. So you don't always get what you want. No. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I suppose it is. Otherwise, you could be like this uh, villain at the top of the council running everything. And Well, that's what Richard Ascombe thinks yeah. I am. Darth Vader. I was going to come on to this. So yeah. he, his you, nickname Ascom. for you is Darth Vader. Yeah. And why is this? I, th I think he's got... Um I think he's got a problem. Um, <laughs> I am not from the dark side of the force. I'm a positive person. I want this borough to succeed and to grow. Um, we're working together to promote the town deal, and he's got it in for me. So, I, you know, I think we need to have a UFC cage fight to sort it out. <laughs> Justin Bieber, eat your heart out. Well, it would be a, it would be a match to behold. I, I'd like to see it, but um, I'm not one for violence. Um, but when Richard was on the podcast, he was really passionate about local area, banging the drum, as he called it. You seem like you've got the same sort of enthusiasm, and I guess you actually know what's coming. So it must be difficult for you to not let it slip. Almost like a, you know, you know the the spoiler to Avengers yeah. Endgame, and you can't tell anyone. Yeah. What? How? How do you manage that? Not saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Um, learning from my mistakes. Oh, you've done it before. I've done it before. But also, any, any examples? Um, I mean, over over the course of my career, saying things that I think were going to happen and just haven't happened um, in various roles. I've done it once or twice. You don't do it again. Um, I can't. I mean, I can't think of anything very specific. But um, but in terms of the work that's going on now, this isn't work that's happened overnight. I said it earlier. This is work that's been going in, in progress for four or five years um, to get us to a point with all the other planets aligning around us, the offshore wind boom 
the Humber Estuary having a profile now because of uh, Siemens on the North Bank, Gusted on the South Bank, all that stuff. The fact that we have very, very strong sectors, ports and logistics, in the largest port by tonnage in the UK, Immingham and Grimsby combined. The seafood sector, 70% of the fish processed in this country, consumed in the country, processed in Grimsby. Big players like Sea Chill, Young's, the petrochemical industry, you know, the fish market, all of this stuff is in a small patch of 160-odd thousand people on the south bank of the Humber. We have got a massive economic powerhouse on the doorstep. And what we weren't doing, in my humble opinion, for a long time was playing that story in the most positive, engaging way. That, hello, the Humber is very powerful as an economic entity. Uh, Lincolnshire is very powerful as an economic entity. There is lots going on. Look at the strength of these sectors, ports, chemicals, logistics, the visitor economy, tourism. And hey, look about look at this energy stuff that's coming. We have a massive opportunity for the area to grow. We're losing too many young people who aren't coming back. Um, there's too much low aspiration. We need to raise our heads, look out, get positive, be optimistic, and start to tell the right kind of story. Be proud of our past and look absolutely forward to the future. Combine the two, heritage, the legacy, look ahead in terms of the new industries that are coming forward. Embrace that and just tell a positive story, but not be stupid about the fact we have some challenges. I know we have some challenges, believe me, in my job for this patch, uh, whether it's in relation to deprivation, in relation to the support we have to give a lot of children and families in this borough, um, whether it's caring for the elderly to the extent that we have to and the cost that, to the families involved that entails. Um, there are massive challenges, but the, the, on balance, the overwhelming opportunity that is the local economy and the, and the planets, be they offshore wind, seafood sector, ports, logistics, chemicals, they are here with a very strong SME base around it, um, we should be raising the aspiration levels of this place, creating opportunities for young people to stay, for many to come back. And in fact, many people that do come back tend to stay. And many people that are brought here for the first time don't leave. Um, and be positive. Yes, there are bad things that are happening as well and difficult things that are happening. Um, but there are all sorts of reasons that those things happen and they're not unique to North East Lincolnshire. The overriding message from me always, and those who I work with closely in the private sector and other sectors know this is, um, you get the cards you dealt and the council's been dealt cards I'm not going to sit here and moan about cuts and lack of funding you get the cards you dealt certainly as officers we're not politicians and you have to make the best of what you've got and I think part of making the best of what you've got is promoting the profile of the area getting people to come and look at it whether that's the government whether that's government officials and going hey let's have a town deal because we've got our act together with the private sector we think we can regenerate this area over the longer term we have an ambition give it a go um, and I think the give it a go crack on attitude is here now and I think there's a an increasing belief one in stuff is happening but more importantly big stuff will happen um, and yes I do know a bit and I'm hopeful about what's coming some of which I'm pretty confident will happen some of which is high risk and that's the stuff that makes me a bit nervous sometimes so I don't <laughs> say it without getting into trouble well I'm excited to see what happens uh I think Richard Askham knows a bit as well, but he wasn't letting on. Um, so, I mean, oh God, so much to digest of what you just said. Uh, there are loads of really interesting businesses local to this area. I, I'm always surprised uh, when I see someone in the news or we meet a client. We had Jordan on from uh, My Energy. Amazing yeah. stuff that they're yeah. doing. Really kind of... Another legend. The, yeah, just, just in the middle of Lincolnshire, just... Yeah. doing their thing yeah. but I can definitely see that being 
a big brand. Everyone will know it. Uh, maybe get bought out by Tesla. Don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's all sorts. I mean, there's a there's a lot of stuff going on in Lincoln, which I know is a different council. I've never really understood how Lincolnshire is separated into lots of different councils, but it's a big county, so I guess it, it, it'd be almost impossible for one council to run all of that. You mentioned that North East Lincolnshire was only founded in... 1996. So what was it before? Humberside County Council. Oh, okay. And then there was Cleethorpe's Borough Council, Grimsby Borough Council. Um, I think there was Beverly Council. I think there was a Glanford. Oh, God. Scunthorpe, I think. I'll be corrected if I'm wrong. Um, and, of course, there was Hull. They were what we call district councils. So we weren't responsible. Cleethorpe's Borough Council, which I was employed as, started my career there. Um, was responsible, not responsible for everything that the North East Lincolnshire Council was responsible for. It was, it was, it was responsible for certain things, with leisure, um, a bit of highways, um, parks, open spaces, housing, that sort of stuff. Um, so what the government of the day did was abolish the County Council of Humberside and just create four multi-purpose unitary, as they're called, local authorities. So everything in North Lincolnshire is done from in terms of council stuff is done by North Links Council, City of Hull, City of Hull council stuff done by one council, City of Hull, the East Riding and North East Lincolnshire. So four unitary multi-purpose councils for each of the four areas, which was formerly the responsibility of a county, Humberside and a load of districts. Two-tier system, we now have one tier. I could bore you to death with that, you don't <laughs> want to be. <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to keep up in my head. Because yeah. uh, Hull obviously has had a massive regeneration huge city of culture massive yeah, brilliant well, brilliant a couple of years ago that yeah, now brilliant been a couple of times yep. it is yeah transformed it's great yep. there's loads of stuff going yep. on uh business seems to be booming yep uh so that's kind of the what this you imagine this could happen here yeah so i mean you know that we, we talk a lot with hull we talk a lot with other councils i've got a great working relationship with my opposite number over there matt jukes and city of culture i'm one of the first to say massive huge brilliant for not just for hull but for the region set the benchmark um town deal was being developed around the same time um specifically for the reasons i talked about earlier um so i think i mean the humber region generally is on the up uh, lincolnshire is on the up uh, and it's about we have an opportunity now to make the most of momentum and the profile and the attention we're getting as an area as a region this is it i think well it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate yep do you <laughs> Or have you ever had someone mentor you or coach you to do what you do? Or did it just come naturally? No, it doesn't come naturally. Um, so I have a mentor um, and I have a coach. Um, Both? Both. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm, I have a mentor who's a private sector leader, very senior private sector leader. Um, and I have a coach who's a very senior private sector leader. There you go. Um, when I started out as a chief exec, it was a fellow local authority chief exec who I have the utmost regard for. I won't, I won't embarrass that person by naming her, but she's she, she's mega, um, who mentored me for a good couple of years. And then I thought I needed something different because of the challenges we were facing, and some of the things I described earlier about how the role of a council is changing, um, and you need that very different view to support you and challenge you back when you're having those moments when you need to vent, yep. when you need some support, and when you just need to have a good cry. And I even cry every now and then too. Even when Liverpool won the Champions League for the <laughs> sixth time. Well, you're a, what fan are you? I'm a Liverpool fan. Oh, you are? Okay, not Tottenham. No, no, I cry for the right reason. Yeah. 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 I have a few friends who are Tottenham fans. They Never mind. Uh, 
so how how does that work? Do you see them regularly? Is it just as and when you need them? A uh, bit of both. So regular, so about quarterly and as and when I need them. So I might phone every now and then for a chat through something. Um, and yeah, but they're accessible all of the time. Yeah, we had John McHale on, who's a, a business coach. Yeah. And uh, I've used John. Lots of people on the podcast actually have used John. Yeah. Um, not a plug for John, but he is pretty good. But I think any coach or mentor, if, so, if you have that sounding yeah. board, especially if you're running a company or a public sector, you need someone you can go to. Absolutely. If you're trying to give advice to people who haven't gone down that route before, what would you what would you advise them to do? How, how would you? Well, first of all, how do you find the right person? Yeah. And then how do you how do you know that they're actually doing some good for you rather than maybe direct you in the wrong way? Um, right, two or three questions there. So if I've missed them, come back to me. Um, firstly, I, I, I talk about I have the honour of talking about leadership in other in, in other organisations too. And the first one of the first slides I put up is if you think you're the finished article, you're finished. Simple as that. Okay. So so if you think you, you you're, you're you're that's it, you are you're complete as a leader. Yeah. Then I think time's up. Yeah, I'd there's agree nothing, with there's that. There's nothing left to learn, is there? Okay, so that's where, because we all have an ego. Yeah. You know, however humble we profess to be, we have an ego. And sometimes the ego takes over. And I think in terms of mentoring or coaching, and I'm an active proponent of developing a coaching culture in my organization, easily said, very difficult to do, but we've got a lot of qualified coaches working in the council at all levels. Um, if you promote that type of ethos, then you need to test it as well against someone who's giving you that feedback that actually you might you might you might talk the talk, Rob, but are you walking it? Um, so the ch- the conversations I have with my some of my members of my team, um, some of whom do have coaches and mentors, but not all, um, is firstly why why not? What, what is it you think you're getting that you don't need from somebody else, including from me? Because I can't give everything you need. We we spend too much time together. Um, the relationship is too close. Uh, I generally win the argument um, by encouragement and persuasion um, and saying, I'm thinking of someone who might be good for you. Just have a chat with them, see what you think. And then a couple of weeks later, you have that chat. Yeah, I had a chat with uh, Liam, with Liam at Council X and or Organisation Y. Yeah, and we're going to meet again and that relationship is developed. So the mentoring stuff is easy to persuade, I think. The coaching stuff, I think it depends on the person you're dealing with. Um, Some people think coaching is about performance management. Clearly it is not. It's about helping you develop. And I go back to the point that if you're not prepared to learn, then, or that you're not self-aware and emotionally intelligent to be thinking about what you need to do to continue to develop and adapt and learn, then coaching will not work for you. Yeah, I think it's a mindset thing. You've yeah. got to be open to it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people take it as a negative. Yeah. Oh, you think, you think I need a coach? Oh, well, yeah. that, that yeah. says a lot about what you think yeah. about me, which is not the way to take it. The best football team in the world need a coach. His exactly. name's Jurgen Klopp. They've got. Yeah. couple coaches I guess I I bet football team has specific coaches for every sort of area they'll well, have a coach yeah. goalkeeper coach striker coach, I don't yeah. know I'm, I'm not really into football but. Well, but sports sport and leadership you know sky and cycles and uh, Dave Brailsford you know the doctor yeah. had marginal aggregate marginal gains all that sort of stuff yeah. that's filtered over into business and leadership hasn't it because the principles do ring true well most of those people that you mentioned are all now on doing the speaking circuits they are. for businesses yeah. so yeah. business conference events so yeah. uh, the one I went to in April had uh, the headline speaker was Sir Clive Woodward yeah. and he was he was the best speaker of the day yeah. I'm always a bit dubious when I see a sports speaker it's like well how much is this going to relate 
but Jesus Christ. It does, doesn't it? It was so relevant. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he was talking about the rugby team and uh, uh, managing, or, or I guess being the CEO of uh, two Olympic teams. And when you say Olympic team, it's Olympic teams. There are like all the different, you've got netball over there and hockey and you've got gymnastics and they're all, they've got their own individual coaches and leadership and when he started to describe this and the way they all did different things differently, I was like, I would not want that job. He couldn't have paid me. But how he turned it around, incredible. And obviously the best Olympic Games we've ever had in 2012. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've got his book, but his talk, if you can ever go and see him on stage, that I think was like three hours, but it was just jaw-dropping content like amazing nuggets of information you just scribble them down and say, I use that in my business but yeah I couldn't couldn't advise people to go and see him more and he is getting on a bit now so yeah, maybe go is, go yeah. pretty quick <laughs> but yeah he was fantastic um, he has a very very uh, I can't remember the name of it but he has a certain rule about meetings um, <clears throat> he doesn't like people being late and he said he will never be late He's, I think he said he'd been late for one meeting in his life to the point where the conference started at like nine, half past eight maybe. He said he was at like 7 a.m. sat in the car park, just ready because <laughs> he knew he didn't want to be late for traffic. Uh, and so he has this rule where you have to be ready in the meeting 10 minutes before it's meant to start. Otherwise, if you're not in, bang on the, the, the time, he locks the door and you're out. Which he said went down quite, quite amusingly with the rugby team. They didn't quite like <laughs> being locked out, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, we, I, I haven't put that in place here, but I worked with a late great colleague because we lost him sadly a few years ago. Um, um, who would, um, if you were late for a meeting, one of his meetings, a chair would be removed. How do you deal with that? Would you be? Would you stand, or would you just be I, out? I, I I wasn't a member of his team specifically, but we were members of the senior team of the council together. But that's what he would do, and some people would stand, and some people would just leave. Yeah, I think it it's a it's a unique thing. Turn unless, up on time. Unless you've got a really good excuse, yeah. If it's in your diary, there's not much not much reason for missing one. Yeah. So do you have any quirky habits or things that you do in the council that help run your day, run your team? Um well, you ask my colleagues what they think my quirks are. I think um people generally know when I'm in a good mood and when I'm not in a good mood. Is it visible or? It's, it's apparently I have some tells. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I very rarely, um, very rarely lose my temper. Very rarely. I mean, I'm human. Um, and if I do, it's in a, it's usually in a closed setting and it's not, it's never rehearsed. I'm, I am spontaneous, so I can't manufacture being cheesed off, um, uh, or wound up. Um, but I, 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 I can't not have a laugh either. Yeah. So if we're not having a giggle about something, having a bit of banter, yes, it's very serious business that we're involved in, but hey, you've got to keep smiling as well because you're responsible for lots of people in the organisation and lots of stuff is happening and they're dealing with challenges every single day and night in some cases. Um, and if they see any sense of um, disbelief or lack of credibility or loss of focus at the top table, whether we're popular or not with them, that's not the point. It feeds back to them. Um, you wouldn't believe the mood that a tone a tone can be set in, a, in an organisation like a council by, or in any organisation, the tone you set as leaders does set a tone. It does filter down. 
and I'm one who does not believe in living by hierarchy. Um, um, hierarchy does my head in. That's one of my tells, by the way. If I start using that phrase in a meeting, people know that I'm getting annoyed. You know, why are we going up and down the chain for something to be done? Why don't we just let, let that very, very capable person get on and do it? Yeah. yeah. A culture of being able to get on and do limited interference yes parameters and you know and rules but you know why, why are we stopping them from doing something and taking a risk um so it's using my sense of humor that's the barometer if i'm cracking a joke he's okay if he's not saying much if he's gone quiet he's either thinking which is dangerous apparently yeah. um or he's just not happy so i do have my tells and, and my colleagues know how to manage that and equally i know them well enough we all know how to manage each other we're pretty good we've been around together for a while yeah, it's good when you've got a team and they can they can sense. Yeah. Okay. It's prickly yeah. today. Give him yeah. a give him let him have his cup of tea. Get on with some emails or yeah. Tweets. I wouldn't do this well on a Monday morning. Is Monday a, 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 uh, a tough one? Monday mornings aren't good for me. No, people keep out of my way on a Monday morning. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't know this, but people keep out of my way on a Monday morning, except politicians, of course, because they can come and see me anytime they like. Yeah. <laughs> But just they won't get any jokes on Monday. <laughs> no any jokes. So so why are Mondays difficult? Um, um, because I've spent a lot of time in the senior part of my career, and by that I mean in very senior roles. I've been in very senior roles for about 15, 16 years. I've been very lucky um, to rise to that level um, so quickly, I suppose, and been chief exec for nearly six years now. Um, and it got to the point, frankly, where all I did was work, including weekends. Um, I've got a family of, you know, I've got a very supportive better half, um, I've got three kids, and all of a sudden, they're grown up. Um, and you, you, you're so dedicated to the work that you're doing, you sometimes forget, in my experience, frankly, that you've got a family as well that are supportive, and they also need you, even though sometimes they might say that they don't. So I've spent a lot of time in the last three years, particularly investing in making sure that unless I've got um, an event I have to attend because of my job, or it's a major issue that needs to be dealt with, or it's a, an election um, or it's a civic event, Armed Forces Day, weekends are for me and family. Um, so I plough everything possible into the working week. I am shattered by Friday afternoon, um, like most of us probably are, but by Saturday morning, it's about family, um, unless something really urgent needs to be dealt with. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, by the way. It's not a sign of weakness. You've got to look after yourself because we are in demanding roles, whether you're running a business, whether you're responsible for a major public sector organisation, mentally it is draining whether you're good at it or not whether people think you're good at it or not let's put all that to one side um the fact is you're in the job and whilst you're in the job a lot of focus and expectation is placed on you and you can't get it right all of the time and the pressure is immense i cope by running i work out and exercise i've done it all my life anyway um i'm into sport anyway i'm very lucky like that it comes naturally to me even at my tender age um, but family is the most important thing and there was a period when I forgot about that. Yeah. I think it, uh, it happens a lot. Uh, I'm a bit of a workaholic, known to be getting up early and staying, kind of burning the candle at both yeah, ends. Yeah, both ends, and yeah. Yeah, it really catches up with you. It um, does. And it wasn't so bad when I didn't have uh, a child. Uh, we have a one-and-a-half-year-old. And she, when when she was coming along, my wife could sense, she was like, Okay, you've been a workaholic. We're now pregnant. Are you gonna be a workaholic when when we come out the other side? And I was like, oh, I thought about how my schedule is gonna have to change. So we made the similar pact: the weekends of family time, Monday to Friday is is work, unless there's yeah extenuating circumstances and something happens on a weekend. You just got to do it. But so we try and stick to that. But God, 
I f- switching off I find hard very hard so are you the same on a Saturday or Sunday you're still thinking about things that happen in the always week always and, and you know if something comes through I'm checking the phone so if something comes through that you know, I need to respond to I will respond to it but only if I definitely need to respond to it if it can wait till Monday it yeah. waits till Monday um, but you know an urgent situation God forbid um, that I'd need to respond to I would but you know um, elections take up more than a Thursday and we've had two in a, in a, in a month recently that's more than about one day. That's loads of preparation, whole, a very small team organizing everything, including throughout weekends. So there'll be decisions I'll be making over the weekend during these last three or four weeks around the council elections and the European elections. Um, but that's, that, those are exceptions. It used to be like that for me all of the time. Read emails, respond to them. And all you're doing is creating more emails and more hassle for other people. I just don't believe in that, you know. I've cut down my email. in My inbox is, is actually for me extremely manageable now i know i'm lucky i've got a personal assistant the wonderful sue who looks after me makes me look good um but i know throughout the working week by friday the emails i need to have dealt with i'll have dealt with for yeah. someone in my role to say that i think is pretty positive and sets a good example because this you know 24 hour uh, uh, seven days good. a week culture uh, is not good for your health or your soul frankly i think short term uh in short stints, if you've got a, an objective to absolutely, achieve, absolutely, absolutely, it can work really well, especially with small teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you if you are playing the long term game, I found that uh, that kind of overwork ethic doesn't doesn't work well with uh, for anyone really, the whole team, because it sets a bad precedent of everyone's trying to kind of one up each other, or not one up, but keep up with whoever's working hardest, yeah. uh, and whoever is the owner at the top of the of the the uh, the hierarchy normally has the most to gain and everyone else below doesn't so it's not fair that mm. they work the same so we we've had a active conversations with some of the staff to say look just calm down i don't want to see emails of the weekend just take some time for yourself it's one of the reasons we in- introduced uh something we call duvet days uh and i've heard other businesses call it things like well-being days or personal yeah, days yeah we do all that yeah yeah and it's where really they just can say right i'm taking a day for me not with the family, I'm not having to book a holiday. They just take a day off. and I, It could be, I don't know, most of our team will just spend the day playing computer games. But it's just, they get to zone out. It could be a spa day, it could be going to ride a horse or whatever. But that, I, I stupidly don't take them for myself. I always forget. But most of the team do take them. And we find that, that they come back slightly refreshed. And they normally, they're clever. They'll take them on a Friday or a Monday, so it extends the weekend. Um, you mentioned before we were on the podcast about health and well-being and you're a runner how is there anything you do specifically for your role but also the wider team below you that you try and encourage that that kind of physical and mental well-being so i mean workplace well-being mental health in the workplace is a huge thing in any organization increasingly so now and it's getting a lot more attention quite rightly um so if i said to you um there was a time when it would be very odd for someone like me to go, right, I'm having a lunch break. You what? The chief exec's having a lunch break. All user email, the chief exec's having a lunch break. Really? Seriously. Like an hour off to have lunch? There was a time when not wearing a tie would result in me getting a strange look. Yeah. Just to confirm for (laughs) listeners who can't see, Rob is not wearing a tie. I don't think I've ever seen you in a tie. I wear a tie for the occasions that I need to. Important council meetings, um, elections, big events. Of course I do. But day to day, if I'm not, you know, not in, in... 
I'm not in a very formal business meeting. I yeah. want to wear a tie. I think Brands has managed to make that He's, fashionable. Yeah, he has. Yeah, and others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it doesn't stop me doing my job, but I know when I need to is the point. Yeah. Um, but having a lunch break, um, um, the fact that I might go for a walk in the middle of the day just uh, around the building or pop out quickly just to clear my head and encourage others to do so every now and then. Um, so it's not just down to me. Crikey, there are lots of people in, in the council and, and, and the clinical commissioning group. I've got two organisations who are very into looking after themselves and are learning to help others look after themselves. So supporting each other in the workplace is actively encouraged. Easily said, not easily done. They're still breaking down barriers where there'll be parts of the organisation because we're a big thing. I can't see it every day, all, all of it and what's going on. Um, where because of the pressure of work, people may feel reluctant to have a break because what if I don't achieve that target or get that done? Take a break, yeah. I go back to the motto, the chief exec is having a lunch break. Yes, yeah. I do. And I try to do that every single working day. Shock, horror. Um, Michael Douglas, Wall Street, lunch is for wimps. The worst thing that was ever said in an Oliver Stone film. Yeah. Well, America... Lunch, is, lunch is not for wimps. No, lunch is good for you. It, well... They prescribe much. I think is yeah. it for every forty-five minutes you're on a, yeah. a computer specifically. Yeah. Uh, I think it's you want to take a five or ten-minute yeah. break. Yeah. A couple people of tea, don't have do. a chat with somebody. You know, you get might get something sorted by bumping into a colleague and saying one hello, giving them a smile might make their day, unless it's me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but asking how things are and having a chat. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a champion. I'm not the best at it, but I do my best to try and encourage that. And more importantly, loads of other folk do too, and do it much better than me. That's what it's about. Yeah, I mean, that, that film, I think a lot of Americans have, that's the kind of uh, culture there for work. I, from people I spoke to in America, it's work hard, work long hours, hardly take any holiday. The Brits are kind of in the middle, there's yep. a little bit of that, and then you've got like the Scandinavians, and they are... And the Germans. The, yeah, the yeah. epitome of yeah. play it cool, have lots of breaks, very don't ever work yourself. Very productive, yeah, very productive. Yeah. Lots of holidays, I mean... It's it is weird. Uh, I need to do a bit more research into it because I was I was there recently and I was really interested in it, but didn't get to spend any time with any businesses. Uh, but I think that's one of my my goals is to just do a bit more homework because I'm always trying to bring ideas back here. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd go if you haven't been yet. If you get a chance, uh, get get a visit to the East Coast Hub, Worcester's East Coast Hub on the Port of Grimsby, where um, I hope I don't get into trouble for saying this. The wonderful Emma Tolson arranged a tour for us a, few, a while ago, and I've been a few times anyway. And you see that they they have a lovely, great. It's a wonderful building, by the way, um, and it's in Grimsby. Um, did I say it was in Grimsby? Yeah. Um, great Grimsby. Uh, and drink every time if you hear Rob say Grimsby. Cracking kitchen, refectory, cafe area, whatever you call it, whatever word you use. Yeah. And guess what they all do? Those of them, those of whom are in the building every lunchtime, have lunch. They all have lunch together. Yeah. Every day. That's Orsted. Offshore wind, massive. How many staff? I think there's a, I think they recruit, they've got about 300 on the books, but on a day-to-day -day basis, there are people out at sea, aren't there, on the turbines. But those who are in the building, according to Emma, I hope you're telling the truth, Emma, um, they lunch every day. They have an hour's break every day. Yeah. I've heard all sorts of horrible stories about lunch breaks from some, some businesses <laughs> in Lincolnshire. One was... Uh, uh, they have 20 minutes for lunch or it, it got increased to 30 minutes but they weren't allowed to leave the office yeah work that out so it was okay. like yeah. if you've not got your lunch sorted you, I think it was a it was not a hard and fast rule but it was kind of maybe an unwritten rule yeah. they had a number of people leave that business after 
Christmas just people had enough and I think that's what businesses run the risk of happening now because there are other companies out there who aren't as rigid or strict and and at the end of the day they're not any more productive by sitting at the desk for 20 minutes and not leaving and having a break if anything they're probably going to be less productive because you're getting less output in the time they've got yeah we trialed four day weeks at one point Uh, it kind of worked the problem is that we found is that if you're a business in a local area that is the only one doing that and all their friends and colleagues are all working nine to five, that doesn't work. So it needs a bigger shift of lots of other companies all saying, yeah, we're going to do four day weeks as well. And every Friday is is no work day. It's an extra, that would, I think would then work because that's, that is what they're doing in the Netherlands and stuff like that. But here it just didn't quite work because people would be like, well, I can not work on a Friday, but I don't do anything because everyone's at work. It's like my partner's at work, kids are at school, just sat around the house doing nothing. So it was it was a it was an odd one. I thought it would really work, but not quite. Sometimes things work, sometimes they don't. Trial yeah. and error. Yeah, we learned from that one. Uh, I can't remember who it was recently. I saw there was a company they did finish. Uh, what was it one o'clock finishes on Friday? Pretty big company. Yeah, they were. It was typical working day four days a week and then on a friday everybody in this massive company finished at one i'm trying to think oh it was a it was a video for a company who made airline seats right okay big national company right wow yeah yeah so they said it didn't affect the output yeah mental health in the workplace is a big thing and it's more openly talked about now and the more it's talked about the more that people will share ideas challenges solutions and again um, you'll get you'll get better value out of the people you're responsible for if you're open about the need for them to look after themselves um, and each other. I think I do believe that a lot. Do you encourage things like uh, physical activity? Yeah, yeah, colleagues do. We, so there's a, there's walking clubs. There's a, I think there was a choir or two once. I think the choir's coming back. Um, I think there was knitting and sewing once as well. I've seen them doing it. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've tried to get a bring your dog to work day going, but I don't think I'm going to win that one. Oh, you need to do I that. I might get told off by a lot of people. It's great having a dog in the office. There's uh, <laughs> all sorts of uh, dog toys and shoes around this place. Um, they just have to be really, really well house trained. That's why my two wouldn't succeed. I was, uh, so Miles is our, is our office dog and uh, when he was about one, he chewed through the power cable on one of our servers. Okay, well done Miles. Yeah, it, and it was for a server Shocking. with a specific type of, <laughs> yeah, surprisingly didn't, uh, I don't know how he managed not to kill himself, but oh, typically it was a server with a specific type of cable that took a week to arrive, so we were, we were less than pleased, uh, but it was our own fault because it wasn't well hidden so we learn we're now dog proof um you mentioned that you had a pa yeah so i've dabbled with the idea of a pa because it feels like i never have enough time how does a pa help you in what you do every day how how much of how much does she take off your plate sue is my right arm okay um She's not into technology. She won't be listening to this anyway. But I'll make sure she does. Sue is my right arm. Um, so in, in my world, everybody from all sorts of sectors, backgrounds, or walks of life wants a piece of me. So uh, the phone line is hot most days. 
um, you need a very professional, very experienced, patient, understanding and tolerant personal assistant to manage that interface so the people that need to get to me get to me and the people that need to be signposted elsewhere are signposted elsewhere so they get the answers to their questions because I don't have all of the answers, crikey. Um, manages my diary, for example, Rob, you need to be at this very place tonight at 7 o'clock, don't forget because sometimes I will because of everything else that's going on. Um, she makes an amazing cup of tea and so do I, by the way, and so do you. By the way. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I don't rely on her for making me cups of tea. We make each other the odd drink. Um, we both have an affection for Diet Coke and Diet Pepsi. Um, but she's also a confidant. If I need to get something off my chest, have a bit of a moan, find out about the gossip, what's going on in the office, because I might have missed something or misread something because I'm not always there. I don't want to misinterpret anything or put my feet in it with any colleagues. She'll, she'll, she'll tip me the wink as well because she hears everything and sees everything. She's very loyal. She doesn't breach confidences. She never dobs anybody in, but she makes my job 10 times easier than it is if I didn't have her around. That's why I've got a PA. So at the granular level, is she is she checking your emails before you? She's um, going through them and saying this one needs replying to. Bit of a double act. So if I've got so that that if I've got some time, for example, on uh, you know Sunday night, so the weekend things, usually Sunday night where I'll have a quick look just to check there's nothing serious that I need to look at, um, uh, or and I'll ping the odd one to her in advance of Monday morning just to just to do something for me. Um, but she knows or she knows because of the working relationship we've got. If I if if a letter needs to be written. For me to, you know, I don't. Most of my letters, I don't send many these days because the, we're in the electronic age. But every now and then, you have to send something in writing formally, either to congratulate somebody or to ask for something, or to confirm something dealing with a member of the public or whatever. She will write those letters for me without me even asking, and knows my style and knows what to write. So it cuts out a lot of work for me and time. Um, so she manages my inbox, she manages my mail, um, she manages my temper and my mood, all of that. Well, and we have a famous teapot, which you must come and experience at some point. The chief executive's teapot, which has been passed down the ages. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I make the tea that goes in it. There you go. Do you have a tea cosy as well? Not yet, not yet. My director of public health has a tea cosy or a coffee cosy, but, you know, he's posh. <laughs> well, I've definitely dabbled with the idea of having a PA, but I've never taken that leap. But I am starting to think it might work. Just... There's not enough hours in the day. And trying to commit to family is, you know, top priority. So, yeah, I might I might have to try that one. Have you tried a virtual PA? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, I've, I've, a couple of business owners have said they've got virtual personal assistants. Whether they're virtually, they're in the UK, but they're just remote, or whether right. they're completely in another country. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I like to see people that I'm working with. Even if it's like a, a video so call. So do I. Yeah. 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 So you, uh, you, you mentioned a business book to me, uh, David Marquette. And I don't know if this is a, you've mentioned this because this is what you think is going on at the minute in this area, but turn the ship around. Why, why <laughs> that book? Right. So David, so what's it about firstly? So David Marquette is an ex uh, submarine commander in the US Navy. And that's what the book's about how he was given command of a, a submarine um, and its crew that was the least performing, in essence, the least performing in the, in the US Navy, nuclear sub, attack sub, you know, pretty important piece of kit with a lot of very important people with responsibilities that are very important on, on the ship, inherited a poor performing crew. Um, and the book is all about how he adapted and developed a different style of leadership and built a very strong 
credible, well-developed team that took responsibility for its own actions. Um, he calls it the leader-leader model, that, you know, doing away with the hierarchy thing, obsession with chain of command, but playing to strengths, um, and how those people have gone on to command their own subs, get bigger roles in the US Navy. In essence, it's a story about leadership, leadership development, and team building. Um, and you can apply the principles in that book, and you, he must have done because he's very successful on the speaking circuit and in, in, in leadership theory and management generally anyway, um, to any business model. Um, if you've not read it, I recommend you do. It's a staggeringly, almost unbelievable story, um, given that the, the military generally is strongly regulated. There are very strict rules and procedures, and to develop what he developed and be allowed to continue to develop it and get on with it and do it and be very successful at it with a lot of risk involved was phenomenal. So it's a book about leadership and how he adapted his style and learned and made lots of mistakes and built some very strong leaders around him. He was not the answer to everything. I love it. I've read it twice. It's almost do. Well, I, you've sold it. I'm, I'm going to buy it. Um, I love those sorts of books, especially if they've got a real-world example. It's, yeah. Some books are all theory and they've never actually done it. This is the real deal. Very good yeah, book. it's interesting that you said he's in the military and he wanted to do away with the hierarchical yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I mean the chain of command existed, but he adapted it to. Yeah. You know, when you need it, use it. But come on, folks, get on with the job. You're responsible for weapons. What you're doing about it? Huh. Tell me what you're doing, as opposed to me telling you what you know. He developed the phrase of "I intend to." You know, you have to read it. I'm, I'm not explaining it very well. Read the book, and if you don't like it, you'll tell me. If you do like it. I think you'll tell me anyway. Yeah, it sounds like I like it. Uh, I'm reading uh, "Good to Great" at the minute by Jim Collins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fairly, fairly at the beginning of the book, but that that's been recommended to me loads of times. Yeah. Um, so yeah, once I've plowed through that, it's quite a thick book. I will, I will get onto that. I've got a number of books to try and get through this year, and uh, unfortunately, I'm going to blame my child for not letting me get as much reading in. But uh, yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, they just seem to know. Um, but yeah, I love I love reading that kind of self. Uh, the thing I always am amazed at, you think you know pretty much everything, but it really is easy to say, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know that. And it's that constant learning all the time. And this is, this is something I try and get into, uh, instilled in some of our team is you should be constantly learning no matter what, you yeah. know, area of business you're in. Agreed. Even our... Um, you know, our, our, I, I would suppose, I mean, she's integral to the business, but our least skilled in terms of what we do, member of the team, that doesn't, isn't involved in the actual day-to-day -day delivery of services, but our admin lady, Lucy, she's kind of almost my PA. She's fantastic. Uh, but we've we sent her on course. Well, we've sent her on courses. Now she's picked up that this is a thing. So she's now saying, oh, I've seen a course. I think I should go on that because it will, you know, help me with Excel and I might be able to do something faster or more efficient or know something I didn't know before uh what did she go on recently she did some kind of hr course or uh or some kind of um, health and safety course mm -hmm. she didn't really need to do it but she was just like i think that might help a little bit with my job and she was all for it yeah. so now she's got this bug of learning new things That's good if you think you're the finished article you're finished yeah i couldn't agree more i think uh if you look at most of the really the good leaders, and some of them are unsung. In fact, actually, the book that I'm reading now um, is referencing this. Um, good to great is about taking average business, or it's more about the businesses that go way beyond expectation, but 
didn't really get the press and the like Branson gets loads of kudos and so does yeah, Elon yeah, Musk yeah. Yeah. but these are the ones where they you never would have heard of the CEO and they mm. go into these businesses dig into it and a lot of the leaders are very similar to what you said they're either leaders who promote leadership and mentorship or leaders who have done things in a slightly different way to what you would imagine a CEO doing it yeah so yeah, I thoroughly recommend that book, even though I'm about 20 pages in. <laughs> so where can people find out more about you and what you're doing, what the council's doing? Um, well, more about me than us, but I, I do dabble on LinkedIn. So there's a bit about me on there. Um, in terms of what the council's doing, just watch this space. You, know, you, you find it out about it in the local press. Social media, we're pretty active now. I am personally as well. Um, but I think most importantly, um, I am a fan of this borough. I've lived and worked here for nearly 30 years. Um, I consider myself to be local just about now. My boys were born here, all three of them, bless them. I met my missus here. Uh, my family's here, extended family too. This place is going places, but it takes belief, guts, determination, hard work, a bit more belief, a lot of failure, a lot of risk taking on the part of a number of people and organizations to make what is beginning to happen actually happen. Um, it's great to be part of it some days are really 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 hard that's my world some days are just fabulous today is a good day well that's good I'm yeah. glad you came yeah. to me with a smile on yeah. your face today is a good day you mentioned there some days are bad days do you have any any anything you do when you've got a bad had a bad day do you go home and go for a run or oh. is it a bit more relax and I'll probably fall asleep <laughs> sleep on shattered. it I'm of a certain age where I probably fall asleep too often actually not at work I might add um, I will either run it off or um, I'll walk the dogs um, I get my, 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 my much better half knows when not to engage with me and I, I'd sometimes just like to sit in a room and put the tally on and I'm a big I'm a big uh, history buff World War 2 particularly I'm, I, l I love watching films on repeat you know, Battle of the Bulge, <laughs> Bridge Too Far. I watched The Longest Day of the Week because it was D-Day 75. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of those sorts of things. The Guns of Navarone, oh crikey. I, I'll get them all out and watch them. Yeah. So Tracy knows when I'm not to be bothered. He's watching a war film, leave him alone. Yeah. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan's a particular one. Good film. <laughs> God, that is an old film now. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well... It's been an absolute delight. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Um, your Twitter handle, if anyone wants to tweet you about roundabouts and such things, is... <laughs> At CXNELC. Okay, and you're on Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, yeah. Super. Yeah, and love it. Fabulous. Well, don't get caught by any more trolls. And uh, thanks for being on. Thank you. Thanks, Pleasure. Rob. Cheers.